You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Okay. Um, We are live. Okay. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 2. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick, Jonathan, and Nami. This episode will cover His Majesty's Dragon, Book 1 of the Temeraire series by Naomi Novak. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. Okay, so we are back with an all new series, y'all. We're kicking off season two with the Temeraire Saga by Naomi Novik. And the first book we're covering is His Majesty's Dragon. It's basically the Napoleonic War, but with dragons. The story opens with the HMS Reliant capturing a French vessel called the Amity. The Reliant's captain, William Lawrence, is alerted to the fact that there's a dragon's egg in the hold and it is nearly ready to hatch. To prevent the dragon from going feral, they hastily make up a harness and assign a member of the crew to become its rider. But when the egg hatches, the dragon ignores that random crew member and chooses Lawrence instead. He names the young dragon Temeraire after a ship he remembers from his past. Lawrence is initially unhappy at the thought of being bound to Temeraire as the men who fly dragons largely live outside of society and spend all of their time caring for their dragons. But by the time the Reliant reaches Britain, Lawrence has become fond of Temeraire. Once on land, Sir Edward Howe, an expert in dragon breeds, identifies Temeraire as a Chinese imperial dragon. This comes as a shock because not only are the Chinese known for their expertise in breeding dragons, but an imperial has never been seen outside of China. Meanwhile, members of Britain's Air Force arrive with a trained rider to replace Lawrence. But Temeraire tells the rider to fuck off because he loves Lawrence. So Lawrence and Temeraire are sent to the Loch Lagan covert where dragons are trained. On the way there, Lawrence visits his family in Nottinghamshire, where his father, Lord Allendale, tells Lawrence he's a disgrace and to stay away from them so as not to draw unnecessary attention. And on top of that, his childhood sweetheart, Edith, tells him she can't consider a formal relationship with him. Oof, that's rough, buddy. When Lawrence and Temeraire finally reach Loch Lagan, they begin to prepare for training with the other dragons. Lawrence becomes acquainted with some of the riders at the covert and is initially shocked to discover that many of the members of Britain's Royal Air Force are women. Gasp. The reason for this is that long wings, acid spitting dragons that are the most deadly dragons in Britain, will only consent to having female riders. And as such, women are trained as aviators. Initially, Lawrence is an outcast among the aviators and gets off on entirely the wrong foot with a man named John Granby, who is assigned to his crew despite being a friend of the rider who was rejected by Temeraire. But then Lawrence proves himself to the other aviators, Granby included, by helping rescue a wounded dragon named Victoria. Time passes, training continues. We insert a lovely training montage here, maybe with some final countdown or you're the best around, something along those lines. Anyway, Temeraire reaches maturity. His appearance changes along the way. He grows a ruff around his head and tendrils on his jaw. Stay tuned because that becomes important later. Temeraire's training buddy is Maximus, a regal copper who is assigned to a big, blustery man named Berkeley. They are part of a formation that will protect a longwing named Lily, ridden by a young woman named Harcourt. 
the dragons and their riders become good friends, and all three captains love their dragons, as generally every rider does, with the exception of Jeremy Rankin, who views his dragon, Levitas, as little more than a talking beast and ignores him to the point of abuse, though poor Levitas clearly loves Rankin and wants nothing more than his approval. Unfortunately, only the dragon can choose whether or not they will leave their rider, so nothing can be done to stop this. Lawrence is big mad about it. One day, a French royalist, and I will absolutely be butchering this, Choisel, who fled during the French Revolution, shows up and joins their formation. Not long after this, the riders are informed that they are being moved to the Dover Co covert so they can aid in the war. Once there, Lawrence meets and eventually hooks up with Jane Rowland, high-ranking rider of a dragon called Exidium and mother of Emily Rowland, the young girl who is part of Temeraire's crew. Their initial battle achieves little more than driving the French away, and Lily is brutally injured by one of the French dragons. Harcourt, if you recall, Lily's captain, exhausts herself caring for Lily, and Choiso offers to assist her. But then, one night, Lawrence hears a commotion coming from Lily's clearing and goes to investigate, only to find Choiso <laughs> attempting to kidnap Harcourt! A brief struggle ensues, and Choisel is apprehended and taken away. Turns out he was a French, a French spy sent back to steal Temeraire, who was meant for none other than Napoleon himself. So Choisel is executed for treason, and his aggrieved dragon is sent to a breeding ground. Temeraire, Maximus, and Lily are all filled with sorrow for him and fear for their own riders, so they plan to help each other if their riders are sentenced to death, should the situation ever arise. News of the success at Trafalgar reaches the convert, and Rankin arrives with an urgent message. Napoleon is planning another assault, in which dragons will carry wooden transports filled with men directly to England. Although his steady work has aided Britain, it has come at the cost of Levitas, who is dying. At first, Rankin is nowhere to be found, and Holland, Lawrence's crew ground crew master, who has secretly been caring for Levitas behind Rankin's back, is cradling the dying dragon. Upon discovering this, Lawrence drags Rankin to Levitas and forces him to say a few nice words as the dragon expires. Rankin can go die in a hole. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Lawrence later hears that an egg is ready to is nearly ready to hatch nearby. To prevent Rankin from being assigned to the egg, Lawrence recommends Holland. All right. Now, Napoleon's invasion begins with the French dragons overwhelming the English dragons while the transports land and the soldiers begin the offense. Uh, but Temer and Lawrence realize that they're probably beaten and they still resolve to try their best until the battle is lost. As he prepares to attack a transport, Temer roars at it. And as he does so, the tendrils and rough on his neck flare and he emits a sort of sonic blast. The transport basically falls apart midair. This not only comes as a surprise to Temer and Lawrence, but it causes confusion in the French ranks and the British manage to repel them. Now, during the victory celebrations, Lawrence runs into Sir Edward Howe, who's heard about Temeraire's unusual attack in the battle and tells Lawrence that he misidentified the breed because he observed him before he reached maturity. Temeraire is actually a celestial, which is the most valuable Chinese uh, dragon breed, normally reserved for emperors. And it they have the ability known as the divine wind, which allows him to bring down enemies through the strength of his roar. Now, Howe also warns Lawrence that once word gets out, the Chinese are probably going to come back and try to reclaim Temer, but Lawrence isn't concerned about this, and he and Temer return to the celebrations, and that wraps up our summary of His Majesty's Dragon. Um, so <laughs> this was such a big change from the last yeah. series that we did. Uh, I 
these books took a little bit to get into for me. Um, I, and, and just a forewarning, I won't spoil anything, but I am three books into the series now. Uh, so I, I have gotten a little bit ahead and, and thankfully I did enjoy the second and third ones quite a bit more. Um, this one, it, it had like, like the beginning was really good. Then it was really slow for a while for me. Then it kind of like picked up a little bit. And like, I enjoyed like the, the battle stuff I, I you know, and, and finding out that Temur has this like crazy power at the end. Um, it's to me, the funniest thing about this book was that I had honestly forgotten that so much happens in it. It wasn't yeah. until like reading the summary right now that I was like, oh yeah, wait, that did happen. That did happen. That did happen. It was all the same book. And it's really weird because it's such a dense book that somehow manages to feel incredibly slow at the same time. And I'm not quite able to put those two together. Um, just as an aside, by the way, this is, you know, very much related to this, but I've also been reading a lot more on my own and I've been more generous with myself in not finishing books if I am not clicking with them right away. And to be completely honest, this is one of the books that I would have not finished if it wasn't for this series. And I'm glad I stuck with it because by the end I ended up liking Lawrence more, although going from apathetic to kind of liking is <laughs> not great, but like... I wasn't apathetic to him anymore and I liked the, uh, and like I didn't anticipate the twist of Temeraire being a celestial because in reading the summary it seems kind of obvious that that would happen but like the way it's presented in the story is really well done in a way that it's like oh he's definitely an imperial like this is it I'm absolutely certain and like just with a lot of books that are like the twist to be like, oh, you're the almost most powerful. Oh no, but you are the most powerful. It's usually very obvious to see it coming. And for some reason I didn't see it with this, maybe because I was so kind of like disconnected with how long it was that I was like, maybe forgetting that Celestials were a thing. I don't know. I rambled again. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm back. Did you miss me? Yes. <laughs> so much. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I rarely put a book down and never finish it. So it's, uh, for me, it wasn't, and, and honestly, when it did get slow, it was more about, it wasn't necessarily this, like, I, I, the thing is, I love Temraire, and I love a lot of the side characters, you know, like, like, Berkeley and Maximus are great, and like, like, you know, like, Harcourt and Lily, Lily, I like a lot, Harcourt is just kind of there right now, I'm hoping she plays a bigger part, like, later in the series, but, like, um, you know, Lawrence is, insufferable to be honest i did not <laughs> I, I, I like like nami i didn't even get to the point at the end of this one where i liked him a lot more like i liked him a little bit more Actually, but i still am reason, like i think the only reason i liked him is because of the maturity that he shows upon reflecting with the situation with edith so edith is like the woman who they basically had an understanding that they would get married and like he gets really angry at her and he's like, like, how dare you? Like, fine, I guess, like, if you don't want to honor our agreement, like, fine. And she basically turns to him and she's like, hey, listen, like, I still care about you deeply and I would marry you, but you've gotten fucked yourself and you've gotten fucked my future life opportunities. So I can't marry you. I like I would basically be living in the middle of nowhere. That is not a life for a person. So I can't, even though I love you, like, you can't expect that from me. And at first his response is like, you know, like self-defensive salty. And as it goes on later on, he like realizes and like she gets engaged to somebody else and he's like, okay, you know, like that, like this was the right thing. Like I couldn't have made her live this life. Like 
she was right to reject me like that. And she was right to be upset about it. And I'm like, I'm like, huh, that was not growth I expected from him because he is literally boring McBoring face. I have been calling him boring McBoring face the whole time I've been reading. Like, no offense. I, I get where this character is coming from because if you look at Naomi Novik's like talking about like she like I read like her afterward in the book where it's like about her and she basically wrote this book because she likes historical stories and she likes history and she likes dragons and she also likes Jane Austen novels so this is essentially like a Regency story and so like he's basically like literally Mr. Darcy when he still got a stick up his butt and like <laughs> And, like, this is the whole story from Mr. Darcy's point of view, except Mr. Darcy does not loosen that stick from up his butt, and he also is placing that butt upon a dragon. And I think, like, it's just that every single time he was like, oh my god, a woman, oh my yeah. god, he doesn't have manners! I was just like, dude, can you, like, take 17 chill pills? And then he's like, they didn't call me sir, I am offended. And I was just like, I think his shock about like the women and his like he, he's faster to come to terms with it than I expected based on the rest of his character but yeah. like his shock about the women wasn't even like it was like okay you know I get it like that's that time period whatever it's it was more his like constant just like schnan about like how the other aviators had no manners and and no breeding and upbringing yeah. and uh I mean I don't know like like I I, I kind of want I want to know Nick and Jonathan as as you know what you guys thought of him because like you know obviously nami and i are coming from a more you know so girl's I, I perspective spent, i spent the entire first half of the book picturing him as runner up in faulty towers upper class twit of the year awards <laughs> um <laughs> you made me choke on my falafel <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I agree. He was an he's an insufferable ass. The only saving grace is he's clearly a very competent military person, man, as opposed to some of those normal winners are complete incompetence. So uh, he had that going for him. I also thought his adjustment was because he's such a competent military leader that he could adapt to on the fly to changing circumstances better than another person thrust into that that he had he had enough adaptability in his makeup that yeah. okay you know we have our the way a british upper class sailor is supposed to behave but this is a different circumstance and i have to adapt and oh there are women and yes it makes sense there are women and i'm going to have to adapt to that so i I, I I thought he was adaptable, but yeah, he's not the most exciting character, uh, at least through the first book that I've of every series. And I don't think there was internally monologues that uh, I found really interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just thought he was sort of it was dull. His discussions with Temeraire were better, and his love for Temeraire was came very quick and I almost thought it was romantic in some ways, which, cause he kept calling him dear, which I yeah. thought was interesting. And that, that was a little odd, but Nick, go ahead. Fill us in with your. <laughs> I did not get the whole romantic thing. Uh, for me, it was more like a, 
paternal kind of relationship. Mm. Um, and I think that clicks more for me. Uh, maybe I'm just not a dragon fucker. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to read more books to discover. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some fan fiction of that somewhere. No, oh, God. please no. I know I know it exists, and I do not want. <laughs> I mean, to me. To me, this was like a very obvious like first book. Uh, I think it was well done. I've actually read some of um, Naomi Novik's other books um, in a different series that I liked a lot. And there's a very different feel to these, but I still enjoyed them. Uh, and like everybody else, I mostly enjoyed the dragons and the side characters. Um, I really liked Jane a lot. I thought she was a lot of fun. Um, and those are what made the book really enjoyable for me. Um, as usual, I listened to mine on um, audio book version. Uh, so that was also a little bit different, which was nice. Um, Sadly, it was not one where they had different voices, but it wouldn't really have made sense in this case because it's really just the one narrator that we're dealing with throughout the entire book. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this book, but it was a lot of fun and I definitely love the dragons. Yeah, I mean, they're they're the, they're the best part and and like... I feel like if it weren't for Temeraire, I probably would have just put this book down if I wasn't reading it for a webcast. And I'm glad, like, yeah. and 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 I, you know, I, I get obviously what Nami is, is saying and Jonathan, what you're saying as well. Like, I, I get why Lawrence is written the way he's written, but like in that case, like, I feel like, oh come on, I wanted more of, you know, Berkeley. I wanted more. I want to learn a little bit more about. Captain Harcourt, you know, I, I, I really also enjoyed Jane Rowland as well. Um, I mean, and, and, and even Gramby and like, and Holland is so good. Holland's so good, mm -hmm. you know, like his reward for, I mean, he, 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 you know, falls in love, like in, in that, you know, like not, not, not romantic, but he falls in love a little bit with Levitas, like as he's taking care of him. And it's not, it's kind of unrequited though. Cause Levitas is still obsessed with Rankin. And uh, what? No, no one wants to get in a Rankin's head. No, I don't think so. I, don't I would think like so. to stab Rankin a lot. I would like to open his head. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, like, so I'm glad that in the end, like Holland gets like a little reward for, you know, being a good dude uh, overall. And, and yeah, I, I just, um, yeah, I, 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 there's, there's so much more to it that made me just kind of like, okay, like I, I, I want to know more about the world, honestly, too, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the, why do the French like, cause they, they touch a little bit on why the French have certain types of dragons and why the British have certain types of dragons. And, you know, they, they, there's brief mentions of, you know, other countries and stuff and, and, and they have different types of dragons. Like I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever get to this point, uh, but there's nine books in the series. Like, 
I would imagine, like, does it eventually, do they get to, like, the War of 1812 and we get to see, like, American dragons? Because I want to <laughs> see some American dragons. Um, but So, no spoilers, but I have, like, read, like, the, um, like, the back of the book summaries, essentially, for all the books, just because mm -hmm. I couldn't help myself. But it does look like we traveled the world yeah in this series and that we will get like dragons from around the world as well i don't know if that specifically includes american dragons but i know for sure we're gonna get chinese while in china and i know we're definitely getting australian as well maybe and i think south american so Ooh. i'm tentatively <laughs> interesting and i think that was the big thing for me with this book it's definitely not a book i normally would have continued with and it actually has been on my bookshelf for about 10 years and i just never read it because <laughs> i'm not I'm not a war book person. I am not a historical book person. And even with dragons, I couldn't really convince myself that it was my cup of tea. And truthfully, it wasn't. But I'm happy I stuck with it because the world building is really, really good. Like, yeah. as much as I don't really care about Lawrence, the world that Naomi Novik has built around him is intriguing enough that I'm like, I'll put up with this boring man understand <laughs> what's going so, on in this world. I, I haven't read any of the other back um, blurbs on books or any of the wiki on this. So, but I don't know. I'm trying to put together how this world ends up there with a world in which China has dragons and these folks have dragons and how we're basically in the same world except everyone has dragons. I just don't see how that happens. I um, well, I think that's kind of like, <laughs> that's touched on some in, in this book for sure because they talk about how the Chinese, they keep their information so close. Like even the, what's his name? The expert on dragon breeds has mm -hmm. very little knowledge of the Chinese breeds. He only knows kind of like the basic, like public information, um, no. you know, and, and, and we know that China, the, 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 Brit, the British are in China at this point and everything. But, um, you know, the, I, I think no. that's kind of part of this is that it is, it is the, it is based on the real world, but the dragons have been, have like allowed for there to be changes. Like they, the China isn't quite as uh, open, I think, to other you know countries as they well, were forced to be in real the real world. Sorry, was well, that, that, that's what I don't get. I mean, it seems like there was there's no at least based on the first book, it doesn't seem like there's any real change in the balance of power. Right, which yeah, I think really having is. dragons of different varieties and different types and different strengths would have changed the balance of power. Well, and I think I think the the like the, that's because well, really, like that's the thing because they all have dragons. You know what I mean? It's sort of like I mean, think about World War One, even like you know, and even World War Two. Like the the reason these wars went on for years and years is because like. No one, no one ever really had that until the atomic bomb. Really, nobody ever had that big of a leg up on another, you know, country in terms of technology. So, like, they, they, one would have this little leg up, and one would have this little leg up. But it was, you know, what I mean. It was always, um, like, in this case, like Napoleon has his genius because Napoleon was, in fact, a genius in terms of military strategy. But and he has dragons, but Britain has dragons too. You know, they like uh, the French have the what are they called? Fleur de nuit, the ones that the ones that can see at night. Um, but then the British have the acid spitting ones. So um, I, I feel like 
I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be more explanation as we get to know, you know, more of the this world. Um, but in this particular case, it just kind of feels like the fight is going on fairly similar to the way it would, it did historically because the, the balance of power is still, it's still the same balance because they all have similar, you know, they all have similar, um, things that they're, they're, you know. So I think, I think a really, like, the one thing that I sort of super fixated on in this book, because I am a geneticist, is, you know, sort of like the breeding of these dragons and how, um, if you read like that section at the back of the book in, um, mm. so it was like basically like an excerpt of that um, British ex dragon experts journal. And basically you like read about like the historical like breeding of these dragons. And so, the way I was reading it in my head is this is exactly what it says on the cover. The world is unchanged, except there were dragons everywhere. And in the process of having dragons everywhere, the countries that had, you know, the resources to take advantage of these dragons did. And by taking advantage of them, they bred them for power. And so, you know, just like any other resource, powerful countries had the ability to mine the resource essentially and to sort of you know exploit the research the re the resource so in the sense that you know countries like britain and like france and china had the ability to breed these dragons and get more and more powerful dragons and that's why now you have you know the imperials and the celestials in china and you have the long wings and the golden whatever maximus is golden royal royal gold royal gold i think and so to me, it kind of read like that. So the way regal copper wasn't he? Regal copper. Oh, regal copper. But <laughs> royal gold also works. I mean, it's this. It's a color <laughs> and, and a word that also means royal. Yeah, I think that's the type of apple I'm eating at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Apples, dragons, same thing, right? But yeah, so that was the way I was imagining it in my head because you know, from a Obviously, this is, you know, from a biological and evolutionary standpoint, it seems that these dragons have been around for a while. And it goes to reason that when these dragons, like, first existed, like, there wasn't, like, a super all-powerful dragon that was just born in one place conveniently. Unless also that happened and we're going to find out about it later. I don't know, man. What, what's, what's Naomi going to do? Beats me. But, like, that is, like the way i was rationalizing it in my head but also yeah you're right like dragons you think the change would be bigger right but i think another part of it is also that like it's very much seems like the opinion of aviators <laughs> is very shitty in this world which i found very odd like i just thought that whole dynamic that like people were just like ew aviators and ew dragons and i was like are you kidding me like that's Holy shit. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like like if they've been part of the military as long as they supposedly have, like why why are people not used to them yet? Like I get it if it was like, you know, what you know, they talked about how Britain had these little wild dragons, you know, hundreds of years ago and, and it took like interbreeding. They didn't really have a, a great, like a really great dragon breed of their own, except for maybe the, the long wings. You know, it took a lot of interbreeding, or maybe the long wings were interbred. I, I can't the remember. Long wings but, like, were interbred. 
Okay, so so like they, they, like, but the dragons always existed, and they've been part of the military for a long time. So like, why is everybody still? Well, and, and honestly, though, I think that's I think that's really in a way historically accurate, right? It's it's a sign of the times. Like it's something people people aren't they're still not familiar enough with it. So they are like, no, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to see this well, in my life. This is weird. Whatever. Yeah, the, the question is how long have they been around? Because I, I know in the military there's often been scorn on military officers who have fought, um, had had more forethought. I mean, Hatton was criticized a little early for his wanting to adapt tanks and trying, you know, proving that tank warfare was the way to go. Billy Mitchell had issues when he tried to explain that air power was the future and they weren't using air power right and the, and the old days of battleships were done and until Pearl Harbor, which proved him completely right, um, although he was on our side trying to convince us, our military of that earlier. So I get that, but if they've been around for a while, you shouldn't have that issue. They should have. So I'm not... Ex I mean, the only thing I can think of is the sexism and the fact that we want to hide the hide the fact that these aviators exist at all, because then we have to admit that there are women who are flying combat for us. I think that's a very small part of it. I think it's a part of it, but I don't think it's. I don't Actually, think it's a big part. The more I think about it, the more that might be a bigger thing, because it's also like a lot of their secrecy was also in part of like hiding the intelligence of dragons too. Because, like, you know that, like, Rankin, um, Lawrence has that whole moment where he's like, oh, my God, a dragon is our sensei. What's going on? And then he's like, oh, my God, no wonder everybody got all the aviators got upset when they were like, let's murder dragons that don't have handlers. Like, they're smart. Oh, we can't do that. That's like murder. And then, like, you know, that whole thing. And I think, you know. It does make sense because the long wings are specifically like they are the like attack mob essentially. Yeah, they're they're the elite, really. Like you've got the, the giant regal coppers, but the long wings are the elite. Yeah, they're like the most important ones, and it seems you know we're in the Regency era. Like like these ladies can't show their ankles, much less converse with men while wearing breeches. For God's sakes! How <laughs> oh dare! Also, um, because of my whole uh, Regency obsession and like like parallel to this, another way that I really got into the book was by imagining everybody like in period fashion for it for me. So like this whole time, I was just thinking dandy Regency dandies on dragons, and that is just all I have in my head. And I would like to cosplay Jane or Lily because I just want to dress as a Regency dandy and then be like, "Hey, I'm a dragon rider." I think I need to be Jane and you need to be Harcourt. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, always to cosplay. So I, I so Nick, I don't know, like you, you haven't said much for a bit, but I'm I'm curious like whether or not you have any take on why, especially why they keep this whole thing like see, keep it secret, keep it safe. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm part of it the rings in... right now too, so <laughs> Part of it is society, right? So, uh, you know, like Nami was saying, we're setting this in roughly the Regency era. We know that the aviators are basically these, like, 
outcast from society because they have to give so much attention to their dragons. As much as I love the idea of, you know, dandies riding around on dragons, <laughs> they're described as basically, you know, barely, not barely dressed, but like all their clothes are a mess. Uh, you know, they, they're described as being kind of disreputable. They're always going off to uh, visit whorehouses and, and bars and things. Um, and part of that is out of necessity, right? Because they can't have uh, marriages. They can't have these sort of normal lives. Uh, but I think that is why they are uh, kept separate uh, from a society standpoint, right? Because if we're in the Regency era, society is not going to want to be even really acknowledging, let alone associating with people of that sort. <laughs> that sort. I'm picturing like a fancy old lady with like really gray hair drinking tea with her pinky out and just being like, we don't associate with that sort of people. Indeed. Um, and, and just a random kind of side note, have I know Nick, you said you haven't, but Nam, I am, I'm guessing Nami hasn't. Jonathan, I don't, by chance, you haven't read the uh, Aubrey Martin. Uh, sorry. I read, the first, I read the first book many years ago and I have okay. seen it. Okay. So, so uh, one Master of the things and I, commander. you're talking about master and command. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things I, I posted, there's actually a temporary subreddit. Um, there's a lot of very kind people in there, but like one person did comment saying like, this is the type of thing I'd like to see or hear about, you know, um, if you, you know, in a, in a webcast or whatever that talks about the series and they mentioned the Aubrey Maturin series, which begins with master and commander, which is, this, you know, guess it, I was guessing, but you just confirmed it. it's the movie by the same name with, um, Russell Crowe, right? It was based Crow, on it. Yes. I, I might have seen the movie. If I did, I don't remember anything about it. I'm I, I don't know why, but yeah, I if it, I, I generally like war movies, so I don't know why I don't remember anything. I'm guessing I saw it, but um, I haven't read the books. But the the blurb about the series as a whole is that it's you know they're they're nautical historical novels, um, which in in a way this is nautical. Uh, and I will say that they do go back on ships in the future, <laughs> at least in one of the books. Um, and uh, they're set during the Napoleonic Wars and they center on the friendship of a captain of the Royal Navy and a ship's surgeon. So obviously not quite the same, but the, the guy's a physician, and, but he's also a philosopher and an intelligence agent. And that does, you know, that does feel very like Lawrence and Temeraire. Just the description alone feels very Lawrence and Temeraire to me. I can, I can see that Naomi Novik might've gotten, you know, some inspiration, you know, from that series and in, in, at least in the relationship between, you know, the staunch, you know, Navy captain and somebody who is a little bit more, you know, just wanting, wanting to be well-read and taught and everything. I mean, and that, and actually that's one thing I will say about Lawrence, like throughout this novel, he is like reading to Temer wants him to read to him. You know, and Lawrence, and he asks, like, and he asks for certain things. And Lawrence is like, oh, God, like, I don't want to read these books. But, like, Temeraire wants me to read them, so I'm going to read them. So, like, he's educating himself and educating Temeraire and also using that as a way to spend time with his, you know, dragon child thing. So, I, I, I did I did really enjoy that. I will say, like, I, as a 
kid who grew up very shy and weird. Um, I and, and I read a lot. And one of the things I used to do was I would get up like extra early in the mornings because apparently when I was like in elementary and middle school, I was a morning person. Don't know what happened there. But I would get up extra early in the mornings and I to have like an extra half hour to read. And my dog would sit on the couch with me. So I would just read out loud. Like I know the dog can't understand me it. or anything. You know, I know that I'm not the dog's not learning anything, but like the dog would sit on the couch with me with her head in my oh, lap and I would just read out loud to my dog. So I, I that kind of brought back some like young, weird, nerdy Tara memories. <laughs> but um but yeah, so I I, I I did really like that aspect of of their relationship, you know, that Lawrence kind of goes out of his Maybe comfort zone isn't the right word, but out of his enjoyment zone to make sure that Temeraire is getting what he wants and needs. Maybe, maybe even more so than what Lawrence wants or needs. Like I'm sure there are other books Lawrence would rather read, but Temeraire wants to hear about mathematics. So damn it, he's reading about <laughs> mathematics. I think the most relatable Lawrence ever was when was when he was like, I'll I'll get this math. I don't get the physics, but like, I guess I'm gonna read it to my son, my dragon son. And yes, I also absolutely agree with you, Nick, in that I very much read it as like parental affection. And like, he was calling him my dear, like, and I was sort of like picturing him carrying around like a little toddler and just being like, yes, my dear, I'll read you your book on physics. Like, will you get it? Why are you smarter than me? That was that was the point where I I loved the relationship the most was when Temeraire was actually ha like explaining the things yeah. to Lawrence because Temeraire figured it out and he was like oh this is how it worked but my other my other favorite point was when um Temeraire meets like the French like Choisel and his dragon and he just like straight up starts talking French and Lawrence is standing there like you speak French and Temeraire like, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't speak French? <laughs> oh, and I think I think that's actually a very important thing to note is that the reason Temeraire speaks French is because dragons learn language through the egg. So mm -hmm. he was on this French vessel for months. We don't really know how long, but it was many months. So he was hearing the French through the egg, and then he only heard English for the last like what a, a week, Cup. two weeks. It was two weeks, I think. Okay, so like a, the last couple of weeks, and and so the, so this dragon, it's like it's almost more believable that he knows French than that he knows English. But it's really, it, I I thought that was a really cool, and, and it makes me wonder. So would that be the case for all dragons? You know what I mean? Like if because because as we saw in this I, I book, not volleys. Volleys seem to yes. really grasp English in the time yes. that volleys had. A good being. But a dumb bean. Oh, poor Volley. Poor good Volley. Not even poor. No, you know what? No, he not is, poor. I don't he's not happy. poor. No, he's very, he's loved. I don't remember James, his writers. James, James, right? James loves him and is like, this is my dumb son. And I love him. <laughs> and he's dumb, but we love him anyway. And it just. The thing is, he doesn't ever, he doesn't ever treat him like he's dumb, though. Exactly. He, like, he, he, he just loves him as is. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't. Because he's the only dragon we see that is kind of that like, and I don't want to, I don't want to call it dumb. He's like slow. He or, or not even slow. I, I don't know what the proper word for it would be. Like he's, he doesn't have this oh, like. He doesn't have the level of intelligence that like Lily or Maximus or Temerer has by any means. But he still can speak and and he can make himself understood and he understands. You know that like the most basic 
things that he needs to understand. And yeah, the, and, and his writer never once tr like treats him like he is not intelligent. You know, he just loves him. It's it's sort of like it's sort of like having and I've been here a really dumb dog and a really smart dog and being like I love you both so much for very different reasons like you I can teach all the tricks and you'll listen to me and you're just you know and and you are just a big galump who's happy with his life and that's good too <laughs> you're just doing your best and you're thriving yeah. That was pretty and, much me whenever Volley's was like on page. I was like, yes, you're doing it, sweetie. I think I would die if Volley ever dies. Like I I I would just not I would just die because he's just too like like Levitas is bad enough. Can we talk like, about the ultimate betrayal of you, by the way, Tara? Because I was gushing to Tara about how I loved Levitas and she was already on book two and she did not like nothing. Nothing. No, don't get it. You wanted her to spoil you? No, but I would have appreciated a warning that my dragon child was going to die because Rankin's an abusive butt. Now, to be fair, it wasn't Rankin's fault that he died. Like, he yeah. died in the line of service. That was, you know... Um, that wasn't he, he was fault. he was so badly Barely. injured that there was nothing Rankin could have done to save him. That was, that was made very obvious. Um, and, and to be honest, I think that if... I think that if it had been written otherwise, like I, I just imagine, like I just imagine ripping the pages out of the book, you know, <laughs> like if he actually Maybe somehow calling up Naomi Novik, like, hey, listen, I'm halfway through spinning silver, and I'm really enjoying your other book, but also you, you, you let this man murder this sweet, sweet dragon child, and how dare you, ma'am? <laughs> but the the I mean the relationship. Um, I, and this is, you know, this is very much like a, uh, you know, kind of, I guess like a trigger warning for animal abuse, um, or possibly even like child abuse, considering <laughs> the relationships they have. Um, like, I, yeah, like, like days, the guy that at the beginning who like tried to lie to Tamarir to like steal him from Lawrence is the worst, but like. Not as not as worst as Rankin, um, you know, because he he not just it, it's not just at the end that you know where he he almost isn't there, you know, when when Levitas is dying or dies, but like it's it's like the whole rest of it where you just see how Levitas is just stuck in his harness and he's dirty and he's like he's like uncomfortable and he's just he's not cared for at all because each dragon is its own crew's and rider's responsibility and it's like I guess Levitas doesn't he doesn't have a crew like the rest of them have like Temer and and Maximus he's a small yeah he's small yeah because he's small and he's he's a messenger dragon but like and all of this is because. Rankin is pissed that he got a messenger dragon and not, I guess, a better dragon. No, like, actually, but so I don't, I don't, would no. he have treated it so, better anyway? The way I read this is that Rankin was, you know, son of an aviator destined to be like Celeritas's raptor <laughs> once his father died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the reason Rankin turned out the way he did, though, is because instead of raising him as an aviator, Celeritas, his dad, let his mother raise him. And his mother was the one who gave him, like, the normal society views of, like, oh, why do you care so much about this dragon? It's bullshit. Your dad should love me more. 
which I'm getting, which I'm suspecting is what we're getting, like, you know, jealous wife vibes because dad cares about immortal dragon more than he cares about wife, which is probably also true because marriage is of convenience and regency. So what I'm I mean, I'm pretty sure I've loved my pets most more than I've loved most of my significant others. <laughs> but basically saying. what I'm suspecting happens though is that Rankin just doesn't believe in the aviator way of caring for dragons because of the way his mother raised him. So he genuinely believes that they don't need that attention and that humans are like spoiling them or coddling them or whatever. And he is neglectful because his mother told him that that's what he has to be. And I think once Solaritas realized that that is the attitude that Rankin had towards dragons, he got rid of him because he's like, I can't have a rider who treats me like this. Like I'm a motherfucking king. And then, unfortunately, little Levitas ended up with him because they couldn't get rid of him completely. And without anybody to stop Rankin from being an absolute butt face, he continued to be an absolute butt face. So I think it was, I think it wasn't spite filled, but it doesn't matter because he was still abusive. <laughs> or yeah, rather, I, I, you know, he was neglectful. Yeah, th those are good points. I, I actually saw the whole thing a bit differently in that I, I thought of Rankin as the typical English obnoxious colonial looking down on the natives of the colonies that they've um, taken over while the um, re the rest of the aviators were much more enlightened about, you know, these are, these are equ our equals, not our subjects. Mm. But... Mm. I mean, that's how I sort of much, saw it. Makes but. sense, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I, there's probably a lot to it there. I imagine that some of it also was Rankin just being pissed that he got shunted by Solaritas, you know, and and stuck with this messenger dragon instead. But I, mean, I do agree that probably part of his ugh was in that, but I think that he probably was always like that. Because Solaritas does mention that he, like, couldn't deal with him. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what it was that made him just be like, oh, hell no. Nah. Except the way that he actively currently is. Although, sorry, the whole reason I brought this up is because I wanted to say something about Days. Or the guy who, like, lies to Temerar and says that, you know, Lawrence is dead. Because I did <laughs> want to defend him a little bit. Because, yeah, he's an absolute dirtbag from Lawrence's point of view. But I think... Like, you know, raises an aviator. I think he really thought he was doing the right thing. I think he super went in here and he was like, this man is bad for this dragon. This dragon needs somebody who knows what's going on, who's going to take care of him correctly, who's not going to be from the bourgeoisie and won't re re respect dragons. And I think this guy like truly went in there and he's like, yes, I have to lie to this dragon, but it is to make sure he can have a better life. And I think it was very much malicious to Lawrence, but mm. it's like in Temeraire's best interest in his head. He was still wrong, but I don't think he's the worst. Ranking is by far outweighing the ranking <laughs> on everyone else. Just his name, Rankin. Uh Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I could see that with the days. I, I also, um, I mean, and, and I think maybe Gramby is a good uh he's a good like like example of because he didn't like Lawrence either you know and and I think you know part of it was because his friend got you know 
turned down or whatever, but, uh, you know, he, he also, he's an outsider. They all, they all are kind of mm, about him at first. Um, and Lawrence really doesn't help things now. He doesn't know any better, but like he befriend, he really only befriends Rankin because he's like, Oh, he is also a gentleman. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, yes. He has manners, the utmost importance in determining the value of a man. I think that was the reason I hated Lawrence the most, because he was so flexible on everything else. Like, he adapted to everything else pretty quickly and was like, you know what? Dragons talk and are intelligent? All right, cool. I have a dragon child? All right, cool. Surrounded by women in breeches? All right, cool. But manners make it man and i was like no man like like stop treating people terrible because they don't know how to fold a napkin like calm thine titties <laughs> calm thine titties i just god the whole i just ugh, i hate like the the construct of like manners in the way that like bougie society tries to use it as a way to excuse looking down on people who don't have as much as they do and i just lawrence embodied that in the worst sort of way <laughs> he was just like ah oh, yes this man cannot call me sir therefore he is not a man goodbye it was it was like it was literally like those vibes of like of like you know, just <laughs> doing a really terrible job of like wording this, but just like anybody who uses like a person's lack of knowing like fancy manners as a way to look down on people is just a very classist thing to me. And it just drives me up a wall because class is a construct of the rich and manners are a construct of the rich and they're all doing it to perpetuate their own bullshit and i'm just like Ugh! rage yeah i mean but again like this being like a regency era you know thing it's like of course that has to be part of it i i i get that um and and i really i I really like Lawrence's relationship with Jane Rowland um, for a lot of reasons. Like A, because she's just like, yeah, like uh, they said I needed to have a kid. So I went out and found a dude and I had a kid. And like now my kid's getting raised by other people because, you know, like that's what she's meant for. She is meant to take over my place when I go with Exidium. And, um, you know, and, and, and she's just, she's very like, just sure of herself. She doesn't give a crap what anybody thinks, you know, she's sure of herself, she's strong-willed. She does the absolute minimum that she has to do to like fit in with society when it's necessary. Um, you know, she's still got the scar and everything. And like, people look at her weird on the street and she never thinks twice about it. And, and, you know, the fact it's, it's a little, it felt a little bit odd to me that like, she chose like Lawrence of all people to be like her next hookup and like also, <laughs> You know, I feel like this is like it, it happened more than once in this book, right? Twice. Yeah. In my mind, so, all I could imagine was that to her it was a personal challenge. And in her mind, she was just like, I'm gonna make this fancy man drop trowel. 
<laughs> Sorry, I just, I just, that was, that was the only thing. Like, like when Jane started pulling her shit, I was like, I was like, she just wants to see how far she can push him. And then if she <laughs> also gets laid, she's gonna be fine with it. And I was like, I respect that for you, girl. Like, like go for it. <laughs> also, I just love how like Lawrence accidentally adopted Emily, like her daughter, and then accidentally also was like, I guess I'm sleeping with your mother now. <laughs> It's a very weird, like, sort of not, I don't want to call it like step parent relationship because it's not, but like, he's like, I mean, Emily's part of his crew. That's his family, really, you know? <laughs> also, I just, I love the introduction to Jane where she comes up and she's like, yeah, uh, so kid, does Emily have permission to take some fucking time off? And Lauren is like, ma'am, I'm sorry. It just, it just literally had me in such a, like, see, I have so many mixed feelings about this book because, like, I just, this whole thing has just been me being like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, and I, I will say, like, I think that you guys are gonna, I think that you guys are gonna have the the second book especially, like, out of the three that I've read so far, I liked the second one the best, um, but the, it, the there's. I, you know, I, I think the, yeah, the, yeah, there's going to be a lot about the second book, I think. Um, and, and, you know, it's, the world just grows so exponentially uh, with each of them. And, and we were talking earlier about, you know, like historically, like how is everything still the same and everything. And I think one thing to, that's very important to remember is that you know, while they have dragons, like every, and, and we already, you know, I already mentioned like, well, everybody has dragons and everybody has different kinds of dragons with different strengths. There's also the fact that like technology and, and like transportation, everything, as we know from the very beginning of this book, it's still the same, like it's still the same sort of ships and everything. They can only, you know, get places so fast. So even though they have dragons, like they can't just fly a dragon around the world because a dragon needs a place to stop if it's flying over water. Uh, it can't fly across the desert you know, for hundreds or maybe thousands of miles without water. Like, it, you know, so, so there's still a lot of barriers. Well, your, ra your range is limited, but those dragons can go hundreds of miles. And that change, I mean, to me, that changes every all the dynamics about transportation because you could be putting, you know, instead of having to take well, a, but slow boat, a slow boat to Ireland, you can jump on a dragon and be there in Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, for sure, minutes, like England right? to Ireland, that's one thing. But, like, you know, then we all, you also have to think about the fact that, you know, everybody having dragons mean that means that everybody has their own way of, like, protecting themselves and protecting their borders. So, like, it's, it's you know, the fact that, that everything is kind of uh, in the same, you know, stasis that it was at that actual time in history isn't i don't think it's unbelievable at all in fact i think it's more than believable and and again mostly because as far as we know like even china like they have uh you know they have these you know breeds like temera where he has the roar and yes he's very intelligent and he's very fast but you know he he wouldn't be he wouldn't really be much of a match against a giant regal copper if they were just fighting each other. You know what I mean? Like it's it's very and 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 then they talk about we don't see them in this book, but they talk about the fire breathing dragons and everything and how much devastation they can do to like a ship. Um I I I just there's I think there's like there's a lot of world building that is coming with this series that 
adds to um it just makes it all like more believable. But I, even reading this book, never once did I wonder like, well, how are they, wh- how and why are they still in this place? You know? Uh, I, I'm excited for more of the world building, but I'm also like nervous for other reasons because a part of this story is going to be going to China and this is like set in the Regency. So I know it's going to be very um, colonialist and like lots of orientalism and i'm just bracing myself for hating all of that so i'm just getting ready to be angry about the treatment of asia and if i am pleasantly surprised i will be happy to be pleasantly surprised but i'm like bracing for the inevitability (laughs) I, i certainly don't expect it but it did cross my mind that as temeraire was starting to realize that and, and show a little bit of independence more than he should. Uh, and I go, is the end of this series going to be Temer takes over the world? <laughs> and, you know. I mean, I wouldn't be mad if there was more Temer and less Lawrence, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't he take care of the story? I mean, like, overthrow England and, you know, put dragon kind on top instead of mankind. Temer starts ruling the world. Love it. Well, I mean, and there's definitely, like you said, that he's definitely overstepping his boundaries a little bit already with his, like him and Lily and Maximus making that agreement, like no matter what, we will protect each other and we will protect our riders. Like, you know, that's very like, they're not supposed to act like that or think like that. They're not supposed to band together. So Temer is in his own way, a bit of a revolutionary already. And oh my God. All of the like conversations were like Lawrence was like quietly hyperventilating because he's like, how do I explain to my dragon that he should be loyal to his country? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, how do you explain that to your dragon? Because you fucking shouldn't. But it's not even a country. He's an immigrant. This whole time he was like voicing like like the whole like how do I explain to my dragon that he should be a nationalist? And I'm like, you can't because he fucking shouldn't. Well, I mean, I just the the how difficult it was to explain the idea of like property to him. Like we can't just go killing everybody's cows and sheep type of thing. You know, we need permission. <laughs> now it's right there. I should just be able to eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh <laughs> I, I can't remember if there was um, when they were on when they were visiting Lawrence's family. Did Temer eat deer? He yeah. did, right? But yes. I, like and now, I'm I'm wondering, like, and I because it has been a bit since I read the first book, so I'm one like I want to look back and be like, was there something about like, well, we also can't eat the wild animals on people's land because they own those too? Because that's well, like, a, I mean, but but that's why Lawrence went there because he knew it was his property, and that, therefore he figured it would be well, fine. Well, right, right, right. For him, of course. But they also they like so so Temer could be told like he can be made to understand that he can't just go kill everybody's cows and sheep because they're 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 you know domesticated animals and they own them. But like, what about the wild animals? Because like that's that was illegal too. Like if you 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 owned the land, you owned the wild animals that were on it, and if somebody wanted to kill your wild animals, they needed permission for that. Yep. Like people got people literally got like put to death for like killing the king's deer and shit back in the day. So I like, did not know that. oh my, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Oh shit! I did know that. I thought yeah. that was just the thing in stories. I thought no, that was- no, 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 no. For stories. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. They, they like the the lands that were owned by the crown and by lords and stuff. Like those were their wild animals. And if you went onto their property and killed a wild animal, you were a criminal. So like, it, it's like so you can maybe explain a way to Temeraire, you know that that you can't kill people's herds, they're domesticated animals, but how you explain like that they also somehow own the wild animals just because they own the land that they live on, especially when those wild animals aren't stuck on that land, they can wander onto other land, you know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. you could go after a wild animal on public land and then it like crosses a boundary that you don't know and kill I feel it. Like that's the point where you just don't explain animal dom domestication to him you just you're like yeah you just say you can't kill any animal it's just like don't kill it unless i give it to you please and then my sweet Temeraire starts singing colors of the wind um so we we kind of we talked a lot or a little we talked earlier about like one of the things that i had mentioned um about the end of the book uh well nami specifically did where you know he Lawrence looks back on his, you know, relationship with Edith and, and yeah, that I, I, I included the passage where he actually looks back on it in our notes because I really did. Well, I don't, I don't like that. She ended up with, what was it? Wol Wolvi, I think is his name. And he's, this is this guy who he's there when Lawrence goes to his parents' house for dinner. And he, this guy's kind of awful, you know, and it's like, Oh, Edith, like you actually seem like a pretty chill person. Like why you ended up with this jerk. But you know, other than that, like the fact that he, you know, recognizes that like he couldn't give her what she wanted and, and he's glad to see her happy was like, you know, that and his relationship with Tamara were, you know, the, the redeeming points uh, of Lawrence for me. Um, now, one of the things I, before we close, uh, one of the things that was mentioned on Reddit was the number of tropes in this, in these books as a whole, but this book also like just, just particularly. Um, so I looked it up and wow, yes, there's a lot. Um, I would never ever go through all of them. And it, honestly, I think at this point it would be hard for me to weed out like the, the, you know, ones that are specific to just his majesty's dragon, but you know, just a few examples are, um, a boy and his ex in this case, a boy and his dragon, uh, <laughs> uh, action girl and action mom, Emily and Jane, uh, oh God. Yeah. This is, this one, this one killed me. A date with, a date with Rosie Palms, um, in his mad, in this book, Lawrence pets. And I put this in our notes cause I was like, Ugh, about it. And, cause I also was the one that was like, I wasn't thinking about the, my dear thing in a sexual way until I, until Lawrence petted Temeraire's like facial tendrils and then realized that they were like an erogenous, like an erogenous zone. Like, and apparently that's a trope called a date with rosy palms, which I know a lot of tropes. I'd never heard of that one. And wow. I, I per like, I personally found it absolutely hilarious because like, logically it makes sense why would you think weird face tendrils would be sexual but also right. it was just really really funny to me because Lawrence is like visceral like oh shit what have i done and oh. temper just being like oh it's nice i like that and Lawrence being like no it was hilarious i just 
I just thought it was really funny. Well, again, it's like a pet or even a child, like discovering something sexual and you're like, oh, geez, I did not mean to, <laughs> not mean to get you all. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Did not want to yeah. start this conversation, but we're here now and I'm running away. <laughs> exactly. Um, I can't and I won't. <laughs> Well, and then, and then just, I don't want to, and really like, I, I didn't want to read too far into these tropes because I, I was kind of skimming them and I was like already a little bit like, oh, I don't want to get spoiled for stuff. There's things I don't know about here. Uh, alien blood, dragon blood is near black. Um, so that's, that's, and they also share that with uh, other animals in the series that will come up later. But like, so, so that's, that's a trope. And then the one I wanted to close with is just generally alternate history, <laughs> uh, which, you know, the, the. Wait, this presence. is alternate? Yeah. Real. This yeah. Real. Uh, but their, their presence comes in as a kind of like fictional fix to certain things. Uh, so I, I didn't want to get too deep into that because the, the trope I was kind of skimming definitely mentioned stuff from, from future books. But um, obviously this is alternate history and fantasy, I, I would say are the, the you know, mm -hmm. two, you know, major categories this, these books are in. Um, and as a history major, like, I feel like I, 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 I set out to enjoy this book more than I did. But again, I will say that the next two uh, have hooked my interest a little bit more. Like the only reason I'm putting off reading them is because we are splitting our season two up where we're doing three Temeraires and then the Broken Earth trilogy. So um, I, I otherwise I would have continued just, just kept reading forward. So they do definitely pick up quite a bit especially with the second book. So um, I don't know, any like last thoughts or whatever on His Majesty's Dragon before we close for the evening? I was pleasantly surprised because this book really pushed me out of my comfort zone. Like I said, it would have just stayed on my bookshelf for centuries otherwise. And while I do have a lot of mixed feelings about it, there were a lot of things that I ended up really liking. And I have now found myself very intrigued on learning about the history of dragon breeding in this world <laughs> like let's be absolutely real i am now reading this as an intrigued biologist and a concerned parent for temeraire like <laughs> <laughs> oh just you wait just you wait <laughs> Jesus, yeah. what is my son going to do <laughs> i mean i i don't know if it's it, it comments so much on this is the but the trope of 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 using the british admiralty for science fiction and fantasy book, I think is quite common, as as opposed to other militaries or eras. You know, you had Hunter Harrington, you have Commodore John Grimes novels, you have um, the oh the Walter Williams books. They all use that same trope, so it seems like it's com fairly common in science fiction and fantasy. We got well, and that all that also could be because they're the ones that keep the best records of how they run things. That could be actually the British all historians. Oh, I, I see how we have our like resident like history and like how war works experts here. Meanwhile, I'm just flailing in the corner and going biology, biology. <laughs> 
so you can so you can explain the black dragon blood and what what it's based <laughs> on then uh yes uh they probably don't have iron in there <laughs> uh all right nick any last thoughts no i'm just uh i'm looking forward to getting into the second book and learning a little bit more about this world yeah the second book i i know i keep saying this but it's it's I liked this one, but the second book is what really hooked me. So um, like okay. for anybody who maybe hasn't read farther in the series, if by some chance you're watching or listening to this, I do suggest like, if you were kind of on the fence after this book, I really do suggest at least trying the second book. Um, all right. Well, on that note, once again, I'm Tara along with Nick, Jonathan and Nami. Thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass, uh, the first episode of what is technically season two for us. And we will see you next time. That'll be two weeks from now where we'll be talking about Throne of Jade, uh, the second book in the Temerary series. I had to look. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, everyone. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.